This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years, I put up with it now. I must stop Christmas from coming. But how? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what lessons have you learned from 2020? Today, we'll hear the top three lessons we all should have learned from the mind behind the Afford Anything podcast. Wow, 2020's been a doozy for her. Paula Pant, and from the mastermind behind the unbelievably named LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. Plus, how safe are your apps on your phone? Well, today, we're going to discuss a big innovation that'll make it even safer. Here to tell us all about it is Peter Paulson, creator of Tiller Money. And of course, we'll make sure to magnify a lucky listener's money, and last but not least, We'll share the exciting finish to our 2020 Trivia Challenge. Can OG force Len into a playoff? And now, a guy who's been around since banking began, it's Joe Salcihai. Which is, by the way, three years after Len Penzo got on the internet. True story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to History for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And happy Friday to you. And one of my favorite episodes of the year is when we start talking about lessons we should have learned. And we're going to do that today. And one lesson that uh, this woman should have learned is she probably didn't want to do this show. But luckily for the last almost nine years, she's been with us. Paula Pant from Afford Anything is here. How are you? I am great. You know what? I love that it's lessons we should have learned rather than (laughs) lessons we learned. We didn't learn anything. This is in theory what, you know, we should have learned from this, but we actually, we learned nothing. No, pass. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And a guy who learned that uh, the old guy jokes can run for nine years in a row. Mr. Len Penzo's here. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. You know what I've learned already? What's that? McRib is back, brother. And I'm stoked. Fantastic. The McRib is back. You know how they have had like... uh, Coca-Cola and Coke Zero. Yes. Do they think they could have called that like Rib Zero, like McRib Zero? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like McRib, but there's no rib in it. What do you mean there's no rib in it? Have you, have, have, you, have you seen the stuff about it? It's other gunk. Rib-like substance. Don't tell exactly. me what's in it. I don't care what's in it. It tastes good, okay? What part of the chicken is the McNugget in? <laughs> 
every chicken has two McNuggets. Yeah. That's right. Or is that a rooster? Well, that's, that's a whole different podcast. And across the table from me, it's Mr. OG. How are you, man? Just another beautiful day in paradise. It's the start of a beautiful weekend here in paradise. You kidding me? I, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're getting, let's just be happy for the week, if we're crying out loud. We're getting close to somebody's birthday, by the way. We're not that far away. It's the best day of the year. Yeah, I'm, and, and I'm thinking what I'm going to get you for birthday slash Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa gift. Well, that's awful kind of you. What I'm getting the world is I have pulled my resources together to align Jupiter and Saturn on my birthday. And you might notice that it's going to be the brightest thing in the sky. So uh, some people are calling it the OG star. Some people are calling it a Christmas star. It's really, it's, it's okay, whatever you guys want to call it. But that's my gift to you, America. Oh, boy. Um, and if by star you mean diva, then, 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 then there we go. It's uh, astronomy day here in the basement. We got OG, we got Paula, we've got Len. Let's see what we should have learned this year. The 35 months that made up 2020. Let's do it. Well, what a year 2020 was, and we've got a two-part episode for you. We've got Paula and Len, who are going to give us their list today. And on Wednesday, OG and I will also give you our list. And there's a method to our madness, Paula. What we do is we ha we take yours, and then we learn everything we can, and then we look really smart on Wednesday's episode. <laughs> You're welcome. And so please say something brilliant, so that's a good show. Something brilliant. <laughs> All right, uh, let's do this. How about if we do them David Letterman style, where you save maybe your biggest lesson is the last one, guys. And why don't we go ladies first, Paula? So the year that was 2020, what's maybe your third most important lesson? All right. Well, I don't want to call it unimportant or even third most least important. But remember in March when the market tanked like a million percent overnight? Wasn't that like 2007 Whoa. that that <laughs> yeah, happened? It happened in 2007, and then we had an 11-year bull run, and everybody thought that the market was a high-yield savings account. Uh, everybody collectively lost their memory of 2007. Everybody started complaining about the fact that they held an emergency fund because, wham, my money is you know losing, missing out on the opportunity cost of not having it in the stock market. And then March 2020 hit, everything came tumbling down just for a moment. Um, but it was enough to break the illusion that the stock market is a high yield savings account. So my lesson number three uh, that I will list in today's episode is to use that as a reminder that stock returns do not come without risk. And therefore, any investment that you make should be appropriate to your timeline. Len, I see this all the time, what Paul is talking about, that I feel like on one hand, we should get invested and we should do it when we're young. But I also feel like people don't have enough healthy fear of the financial markets. And maybe it's because of the fact that the markets have gone up for so long. You agree? Um, I do agree to a point, but that can be taken care of by – because I had this as well, obviously, because it was a huge, huge thing in, in 2020. But that brings me to one thing that I learned about this, and, and the importance is – and we should all remember – is if you're diversified, that really can take a lot of the sting out of a loss from the stock market. And also, if you're diversified, you can – as long as you wait – 
long enough and you're patient and you're young, you can ride out any storm as the market has shown us, right? The market has come come back and we're back at all time highs again in only what, nine months, eight months. So if you're diversified, you can avoid, you know, you can not avoid, but you can minimize some of the pain from the stock, Let's from the stock market crash. You don't want to be have everything in one stock. You want to be diversified into a range of stocks, maybe a little bit of bonds. And the other thing is don't panic, right? Because things come back over time. And especially when you're younger, when you're younger, you can afford to ride, to, to take these bad turns in the stock market because you got plenty of time. Unlike you're an old guy like me who's a lot closer to the end. It's a little less, you know, a little a little tougher on you. And that's why you have to really be a little more careful. Was this really was this your number three as well? That was my number three. Yes. How about that? Paula, it's funny, though. You didn't see people do what Len said, that you don't have to panic. I think even people that didn't need to panic, panicked. Yeah. I, You know, I think one of the many factors that contributed to the panic was the fact that we had had a bull run for so long. And so regardless of, you know, for younger people, this is their first crash for the people who are so young that they weren't invested in 2007, 2008. But even for, for those of us who are old enough to have experienced crashes in the past, including the Great Recession, 11 years is enough time to forget you know, it's yeah. it's enough time to lose the, the memory of that sting. Oh, gee, I know you don't play the uh, get in, get out game, but back there in March, if you teleport yourself back, did you think that was that here it comes? Hmm. That's a really good question. It's because it's hard to remember. That seems like it was like 43 years ago. Like <laughs> well, that's said. what's funny was that <laughs> when I told Paula 2007, I was actually calling March 2007. <laughs> like that it, yeah. it just feels like you. it's that long ago. And then she's, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that was the downturn. <laughs> the seven, eight. Uh, yeah. I should have had a diary, kept a diary during all of that, uh, all of the stuff. Like, here's how I'm feeling today. Not great. <laughs> Very angry. Dear, dear uh, diary, jump ship, jump yeah. ship. Bail, bail. Pull up terrain. Yes. Terrain. Pull up. I, uh, dear diary, uh, day two of the downturn. Still hating it. OG. Yeah. It's not pleasant. I do recall on a walk with my wife because we're talking about it and, and, you know, we're in charge of lots of money for lots of people. So, so whatever you see on your statement, multiply by 200 because that's what we, that's what I get to experience every day. You know, the highs and the lows and it's bigger numbers generally. And so I do remember talking about it and she's like, it's really good that you actually care so much. It tells me and she obviously knew this about me, but she said it tells me that you care about the outcomes for your clients and you're trying to do the right stuff. We did lots of phone calls and I do remember one particular event and I've talked about this before, but my brother, stake brother worked at a bank and at that bank, they had air quotes, financial people, right? I can't even call them financial advisors because you know about what I'm, what I'm about to tell you, but he called me on March 23rd, which as we now know was the bottom and said, Hey, one of the advisors at our firm at the close, sold everyone to cash. 600 clients, 250 million of assets, all to cash. $250 million. The, yeah, because the bottom is coming. It was already down 34% at the time. And I just, in my soul at that moment, thought, this is the bottom. <laughs> because <laughs> I can't paint a better picture than a professional, air quotes, going, yeah, I give up. I'm out. You know, I'm down 34% in 17 trading days. Peace, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, Ugh. 
you know, it's it's grotesque to think about what those clients, you know, went through on the back end of that. But yeah, it's not fun. It sucks. Every moment of it sucks. But having it suck and also doing something about it are two different things. Oh, the best thing to do about it, Paula, to your point, was nothing. If you had done nothing, mm-hmm. you won. Exactly. Do absolutely nothing at all. And to people who want to market time, if, to people who have a contrarian streak, if buying on the dip motivates you to invest more money than you otherwise would have, in other words, if it motivates you to increase your contributions, great. You can take the contrarian approach and buy some more on the dip. But the you know, the existing money that you have and the contributions that you've already made, you do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Len, let's go in the opposite direction. Are, you're shaking your head. Well, no, I wasn't shaking my head at Paul. I was just shaking. I'm thinking back to what, you know, one of the things I did. I wrote it out, but I was scared. At first. I was look, I was going to retire right before this happened. I was a month away, basically. And then that th- <laughs> kind of threw a wrench in the works. And then the market so, down 30 percent in your life. Exactly. And I'm going to keep my job. Yeah. And I'm still a little gun shy now on retirement because I'm like, well, what if this happens again now right before? I mean, I'm back to where I was pretty much. But I, there is a little gun shyness in me. But I was shaking my head because I was thinking I bought this one particular stock. I'm not going to say what it was. I put rhymes with I, I No, but I, I no that. But I I put about ten thousand dollars into it between October and December. I bought a, a going. It, it was going up. Which, by the way, and, true story was Len's entire retirement fund. <laughs> but that's now another. You know, story. Now you know why he's so frustrated because he's like, oh, crap. No, this was one where you know I was doing my research. And I was like, hey, this is going to be a good. This is this is good. This is good. And then March hit and April hit and it went down. I, I basically lost half of what I had put in. This is just one particular stock. You know, I was really irritated, but since then it has gone beyond and it has doubled basically. So you, you see what I'm saying? I yeah. held on. Yeah. I did the research. I knew it was a good stock. So I, I didn't panic. I held on and I'm fine. So if you have convictions on what you're buying and you're doing your homework, that should be good to get you through the panic. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be able to feel the feeling and still do the right thing, which is nothing is so damn hard, Len. It is so, right. so difficult. Let's go in reverse order, though, Len, sticking with you. What's your number two then? My number two, of course, is the COVID. But the point I want to make here is when they started doing all these shutdowns and people, I mean, one moment, everything's fine. And the next moment, they're, they're shutting down restaurants. People are losing their jobs right and left. Uh, there was that huge unemployment spike where I think I forget what it was, 22 percent. We went from three percent employment to 22 percent employment. It blindsided everybody. So the obvious lesson there is have an emergency fund. But the one that is very important, that I think everybody should do. And, I'm, and I've I've done this. I don't think any hardly anybody does do this, though, is you've got to war game these scenarios where you are laid off suddenly And that is something everybody should do. There's no excuse not to do it. And what I mean by wargaming is before you're laid off, you need to say, if I've lost my income, what am I going to cut? What are in all my expenses? And if you're married and you have a spouse or partner, sit down with that partner and you guys have to talk about what are you going to cut? What is going to be cut that's going to stretch that emergency fund out longer So you can make those decisions when you're laid off or you're blindsided with a job loss. You've got to do it ahead of time. This is Len's favorite activity for date night. 
<laughs> I, I got a great idea, honey V. Let's war game if I get laid off. Well, and you know what? It is not good for a date night because you know what? You get into some real battles. Yeah. You, this is what you find out with your spouse or your partner where there's real. It's better to do this ahead of time than after the stress of having no job. It's better to have this all figured out ahead of time. Well, OG, you like doing this, I know, with risk management, right? What happens if you get disabled? What happens if you if one of you passes away? I wouldn't say I like doing it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, hey, uh, OG's fun on date night as well. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about what the new Mrs. OG looks like. Let's I mean, let me. Oh, my. Don't. don't. (laughs) I was in the middle of a swig when you did all those insurance proceeds. That's (laughs) so bad. She's like, that's okay. There's a note in my dresser drawer that says my husband did it. So no matter what happens, you're screwed. (laughs) That's a good one. I mean, when it comes to risk management from a, from an everything standpoint, this is exactly right. It's so difficult to do. And the answer isn't always, you know, on the insurance side, the answer isn't always, and then I buy insurance or the answer isn't always. And then we sell the house or we pull the kids from school or whatever, like Len's talking about. It's just have it thought out or at least kind of sketched out in advance. It takes 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, you know, to kind of lay the groundwork of like, here's our hit list of stuff that we're going to go after right away so that we can be comfortable. And like you said, stretch that emergency fund out or God forbid you don't have it. What's the order of decision-making from an investment standpoint? How are you going to re uh, look at your investments to decide what do we have to do to pay the mortgage tomorrow? You know, if you have a spouse that's working and a spouse that's not working, like, we deliver in DoorDash tomorrow. Like we have to think about this stuff. Like you said, Len, when you're of relatively level mind and it's going to cause some consternation. The first thing you thought I thought about when you said what gets caught, I'm like, well, I'm still ordering wine from Napa. Right. <laughs> and I know that, he, that would get he's caught. got the, he's like, got the moat around the wine from Napa. I'm like, wait a second. Take what my house. Think? I'll live in a tent, but the shipment's still going to come. Yeah. That comes every year. So we're not cutting that. So you just got to game plan everything and and it's going to cause some fights. But hey, have the fight now, not when you're also hungry and having the fight. Paula, you know, Len said, obviously, this means have an emergency fund. But you and I saw people caught without an emergency fund. Mm hmm. Not going to happen to me, Paula. Not going to happen to me. Exactly. There were so many people who said and you and I both heard this question so, so many times. I hate having money just sitting there in a savings account. You know, I hate that it's not making, you know, it's it's losing, it's facing the opportunity cost of what it otherwise could be making. If I only had that invested at 7%, people said that during the bull run over and over and over. And then when March hit, all of a sudden it became very clear why emergency funds are necessary. It didn't bother me as much that people got hit by that because people will get hit every time and I feel bad, right? I do. I feel Mm -hmm. very bad. But when I see people online publicly melting down that they didn't have their emergency fund when they should have, people that should have known better who are teaching other people about money, mm. that's when that's when I, I went, oh, my, oh, my. Mm. Hopefully people can learn from that, too. Back to you, then. What is your number two? So th- this was going to be my number one, but I feel like it's, it's kind of on topic. So we're going to turn this into number two <laughs> <laughs> because it's on that topic of job losses that we experienced in May. Part of the lesson from those job losses was have an emergency fund and war game your what do I do if I get laid off thinking. The other part of that is have multiple streams of income. 
because people who had multiple streams of income in March, if they lost their job, they didn't lose 100% of their income. You know, they lost a portion. I mean, they may have lost the overwhelming portion of it. They might have lost 80% of their income, but they still had the other 20% coming in. And that necessarily made it better than a better situation than anyone who lost 100%. So have those multiple streams. And if you run a business, make sure that your business has multiple streams of income. Because I certainly know a lot of business owners who were heavily reliant on one single source of revenue for their business. And for, you know, various reasons in March, the circumstances dictated that that particular revenue source dry up. So um, having multiple streams of revenue in inside of your business is the entrepreneurial equivalent to being an individual who has multiple streams. I, I love those things Len and Paul is talking about, but also I think and I'm coming to you specifically because you're just about to retire from working for the man. But I also think that looking at the way companies have been lately, this is another reason to like keep your LinkedIn profile up, like always keep your resume dusted off as well. Yeah. Well, of course, networking, as we all know, and, and I'm teaching my daughter this right now, who's just getting into the workforce, but networking is so important. It really is who you know. But when it comes to finding a new job or something, you rely on things like that. Your LinkedIn profile, your networks, who you know, it really comes down to who you know. It really does. I'd say 90% of all jobs are, are word of mouth and references. Yeah, stay on that. All right, it's time for... Our number ones, Paula. All right. So number one, and this, this relates to individual stock purchasing, which we heard a story from Len earlier. You have to be right, not only when you buy, but also when you sell. I think one of the things that we saw in 2020 was there was a lot of not just volatility in the overall market, but there were a lot of of companies, Peloton and Zoom or Tesla, that totally ran away and created these amazing, gigantic returns. And, and then you had other companies that seemed to have strong fundamentals right up until the pandemic struck and suddenly cratered. And so to anybody holding individual stocks, the unpredictability in which companies ended up being the runaway winners and which ones ended up underperforming one thing that that unpredictability highlighted is that anytime you buy an individual stock, you have to be right twice, not just when you buy, but also when you sell. So if you happen to buy a company at the right time, but then you sold it too early, you missed out on most of the gains. If you happen to buy a company at the wrong time and then you sold it before it recovered, again, you missed out. And so I think uh, this is basically sort of a long way of saying that this year has underscored the risk that is inherent in individual stock picking. Oh, gee. I, I mean, to put a point on what Paul is saying, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago about the statistic on Pfizer. Like you think if any company had a great year, like Pfizer was was a huge buy and yet maybe not as good as you thought it was. Yeah. I, I, what we said was, imagine if on March 23rd, since we've identified that as the bottom, you had 10,000 bucks to invest and you could pick between one of two things. You could put it in the company that was going to produce the coronavirus vaccine, the first one, or a globally diversified mutual fund. Which one do you want? I, and I want the coronavirus. Everybody and their brother goes, I want the COVID vaccine. Give me that because that stock's going to go like gangbusters. And it did. Pfizer was up, whatever we talked about. I don't remember what the number was, 37% or 38% since yeah. March. 
and the regular boring globally diversified mutual fund, yeah, it's up 70, <laughs> you know, because you also got the Zooms and the Pelotons and the Teslas in there too. And all the ones that also sucked, you know, you got some good ones and some not so good ones. But like Paul said, it's, it's very difficult to be right on both sides and you just limit your area of opportunity. I mean, you're not going to make a big dent in your investment portfolio. You got a hundred thousand dollars. What do you got to do to like have an outsized return? Well, you got to like kind of make a bet, right? You got to say, well, if I'm swinging for the fences, I can't put a thousand bucks into a hundred different stocks. I guess you could nowadays, but that's terribly inefficient. You might as well just have an index fund. So instead you go, well, I'm going to put all my money in Zoom and hopefully it goes well. And maybe you did. And that would be the worst thing, actually, is if you were actually successful this year doing that. But, well, what's uh, interesting, even as you're talking, OG, is I'm thinking back to Len's story and the consternation he had about that one stock with yeah. $10,000 in it. He didn't mention probably a big chunk of his retirement plan that's diversified in his 401k at work or, or, or wherever. But when you get to one stock, the amount of worry you have, right? When things go south, you're worried about these individual companies. But if you have diversification, Len, you know, you didn't mention that, even though I'm sure that was down hell a lot as well. Yeah. Oh, of course. I, I mean, I have my 401k. Sure. I have my own stock funds, the individual stocks. I have my speculative stocks. I have all kinds of stuff, right? A little bit it's, of gold. Completely different. Yeah. Well, yes, I have my gold, <laughs> of course. I have my gold. And, um, and then I, I put in a different category. I have my gold mining stocks, which I treat separately as other stocks because mining stocks are really out there for the people. You got to have a hard stomach, a good stomach for that kind yes. of stuff to ride the ups and downs because you think – Tums. It's really volatile. A lot it's of really tums. Volatile. But let me let me say one thing Paul's talking about, you know, you got to get in right time. You got to get out the right time. What I do is is I always have an exit strategy for every stock. I'll say when it gets, you know, there's an exit point and, and it's different for every stock. So it's not the same one size fits all. But my more speculative stocks, if it's something falls even 75% and I believe in the speculative stock, I'm going to hold it. If it's a more mainstream stock, I'm going to sell it at a certain point, lower, you know, not that low, but a lower point. Same for selling. And, I, and, and I'm not going to sell or, or buy all of it at one time. So let's take, for example, a, a certain stock, a mainstream stock, a Dow 30 stock. I might sell 30% of it when it reaches, I don't know, maybe 50%, I'm just pulling numbers out right now, 50% above what I bought it at. 50% high, 50% gain. I'm going to pull 30% of that out and I'm going to sell that and then I'll reinvest the money somewhere else into somewhere, another opportunity. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing you got to do when you buy and sell stock. At least that's what I do. So that takes a lot of the decision, uh, the panic. It's almost automated. It's like you're automating yeah. your buying and selling of stocks. Well, that's why so I like, even on a professional level, Len, I like these uh, investment policy statements, right? So that you're working on the machine. You've got this machine that you're building about how you're going to do something versus being sucked into the emotion of the moment. These are the criteria when I move. This is how I move. This is what I do. And instead of reacting, then if you don't like the way your machine's acting, work on the machine and not on the... Not on that Correct. single thing. Yeah. Correct. Uh, speaking of, Mr. Penzo, you've got the floor, ma'am. What's your number one? Oh, well, okay. So, and, and we've talked about this before, but I'll, I mean, 2020 has been a terrible year. Did you know Mr. Peanut died this year? Mr. I, I Peanut. Mr. Peanut died, yeah. 
he died in 2020. That's so funny. He died back in February during the with the Super Bowl. That was. Yes, that's right. He was 104 years old. So so he lived a good long life. Eddie Van Halen passed away. Yes. Um, A little younger. I forget what he was. Maybe in his 60s. Um, You had Kobe Bryant who passed away at uh, 40, 40. Right at the beginning of the year. Yeah, Yeah, it's the very beginning of the year. I mean, a lot of people, you know, when I was looking back at this stuff, I forgot that Kobe died at the beginning of this year. I was just like, wow, this really has been quite a year. I mean, for me to even think that. And then, of course, my father passed away, too, in October after living a, a, a good long life at 83. But my point on this is you don't know when you're going to go. None of us know, regardless of how old or how young you are. You can't when you're young, you can't assume that you're always going to be around. And so the lesson there is that you really should, especially if you have a family or a a spouse or a partner, you want to make sure you have a live, if not a will, definitely have a living trust. Or, or I should say, if not a living trust, definitely get get a will. You'd prefer a living trust. But you've got to prepare for just what's going to happen if you're not going to be here, especially if you have that family. And, and then also life insurance. Make sure you have the appropriate amount of life insurance so you can replace your lost income for your wife and your kids. And then also you can pay any debts that you have if you've passed away. So you're not leaving your wife and your kids or your partner with uh, those debts. Did you follow Paula Chadwick uh, Bozeman's career at all? No. No? No, I didn't. You know, he was the star in movies like Black Panther. He also played uh, James Brown. He played uh, Jackie Robinson. He knew he was sick for a long, long time. And it so surprised me when on Money with Friends, we did the headline that he didn't do any estate planning. And knew oh, it wow. for Yeah, and he knew it for a long time. And it just, and you see that so often, even when they do their estate planning. What did, did, did Tom Petty die this year or last year? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Tony, oh. Shea, Tony Shea died this year. Yeah. Tony Shea passing at, away. At right. 46. Yeah. At the age of 46. Uh, what's that OG? So that's another 800 million up for grabs. Yeah. He didn't know estate planning either. Right. I don't know. Allegedly. Like, yeah. Wow. So. Yeah. And I know it's that, amazing. Mind boggling is what it is. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Tony was so young. He was 46. He was healthy. You know, he died in a fire. So he didn't have a, a long illness. He had no, there was no foreshadowing. No. And that's my point. It's like, we don't know, regardless of age, you don't know. And so that's, you, you have no excuse to put your estate planning off. Is this just the year of risk management, right? I mean, we've talked about emergency funds, talked mm-hmm. about <laughs> talked about your life insurance, talked about not getting emotional with your stocks. Is this like risk management review lesson? <laughs> I mean, not to belittle all the people that are hurting and have a horrible, I mean, it was just a, such a crappy year with yeah, people year. passing away, yeah. people out of jobs, people, I mean, just top to bottom, so many bad things. So I don't want to make too much light out of it, but I guess, Paula, yeah. you laugh because you don't want to cry. I, well, I guess handling risk management is a way to honor what all of those people are going through. When you look at the people who have died without any estate planning, you know, you can, honor the lesson there by handling estate planning yourself. When you look at the people who lost jobs without having an emergency fund or without having multiple streams of income, there's a lesson there and you can honor that lesson and honor that experience by making sure that you incorporate that into your own life. No, I laughed because I was thinking about the other, can, can, can I throw in like a quick fourth here? <laughs> Ideal. All right. A fourth lesson from 2020. So if you go, I used to think that it was sufficient in terms of 
deciding what charities I wanted to support, I figured it was sufficient to go on Charity Navigator and choose a topic such as education or healthcare or animals, um, choose a topic that interested me, and then just do a sorting mechanism and sort based on how highly a, a given charity is navigated within that topic or within that category. What I learned this year is that every charity evaluation system uses a different criteria. And sometimes the criteria that they use is simply, you know, how how much money do they spend on their stated mission versus administrative overhead? Like for some evaluation services, that's what they use. For others, they use different metrics. But anytime you're looking at an evaluation service, you're only getting part of the picture. And the reason that that lesson came up is because if you go to Charity Navigator and you search for animals and wildlife, and then you use the sorting function to see which charity is the most highly ranked, it is the big cat sanctuary in Florida that's run by Carol Baskin. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So that's kind of why I was chuckling. Uh, That that, uh, occurred to me as we were talking that uh, another lesson from 2020 is if you don't want to give money to Carol Baskin, then you need to do some research on charities that goes beyond simply what um, an evaluator. And you're talking about like pull down menus and putting in your search criteria. I'm totally thinking... (laughs) (laughs) we had kimberly putnam walker on talking about estate planning paula and it's funny because she she even questioned that logic she said expenses are important but effectiveness a lot Mm -hmm. of these calculators don't determine effectiveness and reach and sometimes to get the best reach you you have to have good people to get good reach but uh the money should be should be spent well right exactly exactly yeah, I mean, I, I'm not discounting those evaluation sites, but I'm simply stating that they only form part of the picture. So check them out for sure, but know that there's there's more due diligence to be done. Coming up next is one of my favorite people. How, how often do I say that? I swear I say that all the time. It's one of my favorite people, but this seriously is one of my favorite people. If you know who I'm about to introduce, you'll know he's one of my favorite people. Peter Polson is a creator of this little thing that I use all the time called Tiller, Tiller Money. Uh, If you listen to our Money with Friends show, you know how much I really like Tiller. You can find out more about that at tillerhq.com forward slash MWF helps uh, that show. But... Peter and I were having this discussion. He was talking about this concept called open banking, which is super, super incredible. At first I thought, what's the big idea? What's the big deal? doesn't seem like any big deal. And then when he explained it to me, I said, we got to talk about this. So probably a really, really big move in fintech that we're going to point to for a long, long time. Peter Polson from Tiller talking about a big new innovation. Let's say hi. And on my dad's shortwave radio. I feel like it's been way too long since we've talked to him. Peter Polson joins us. How are you, man? Fantastic. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe. So it's weird. Last year at this time, I was in Michigan. Now I'm in Texas and I'm looking because longtime listeners of this show know my dad is the only shortwave radio that has video. Is that <laughs> snow I'm seeing behind you? 
We have snow in Washington. Yes, winter is here. And, you know, the Cascades are a playground for anyone who loves snow. I'm up right now in the Cascades where uh, one of our tiller headquarters is, and we have an abundance of snow. So that's uh, in addition to operating and running tiller i'm a dad i'm a husband we have a couple kids as everyone knows this year all that gets mixed together in a wonderful concoction and uh, i will say snow is a wonderful thing for anyone who has stir crazy kids so yeah we, we got <laughs> snow here the shortwave radio is not lying to you it is of course it's december it's washington state everybody's like come on joe but i'm back in texas now and just looking at that you guys have changed a lot. I mean, some of our, our friends also listen to our sister show, Money with Friends, so they know we talk about you guys all the time over there. But you guys have also, I mean, technology is changing. FinTech is changing. Tiller obviously is changing. There's something that your team was telling me about. It's called open banking. Open banking, yes. Open banking has been a huge initiative for us this year. We'll go into what open banking is. I'll just say I'm really proud with what we've done there. Tiller Money is one of the first services in the United States to offer open banking. And so, yeah, what, what is open banking and why does this matter? You know, and I think any of your longtime listeners will know that core values here at Tiller Money are giving people control. And we're all about that, giving people control over their finances. And we really value privacy and security. And an open banking is a huge uh, win for all of those. Traditionally, if you want to sign up for a personal finance service like Tiller Money, when you log in, you securely provide usernames and passwords for each of your banks so that, in this case, Tiller Money, we can securely access Chase or securely access Citibank, pull your transactions and balances, feed them into your spreadsheet, keep that updated every day. Both we and our partner, uh, Yodley, who we use to aggregate that data, do a lot to protect the security of, of that information. In fact, we initially designed Tiller, so we never even see usernames and passwords, but those just goes directly to our aggregation partner, Yodley. But open banking is really about transcending that to a whole new level. Because you think about, for example, if you were using Gmail or G Suite, and let's say, or any other number of services, uh, Microsoft Outlook, and you want to provide limited access to a third-party app to, let's say, just your calendar, or to just your email, or to just your photos, you can use a, a method called OAuth to provide a token that says, I'm going to give this third-party service access to this specific information. And you don't need to share your Microsoft or your Google credentials with that tool you can actually go in and uh, when you're logged into your Microsoft or Google account and give access to that third-party service. Open banking is doing that for financial data. And so today, when customers, our first two banks that are live are some of the biggest banks and we're rolling out others soon, but Citibank and Chase specifically, if you log in and connect with Tiller Money and you want to feed your Citibank or your Chase data into Tiller Money, we will walk you through a process where we take you over to the Chase or Citibank account. You log into that account on their site, not ours, on theirs. And from there, you grant Tiller Money read-only access to your transactions and balances. That's a win on so many dimensions. First of all, you're giving very explicit permissions. You're saying Tiller Money has read-only access. It does not have access to move money, make withdrawals. It just has access to see my transactions and balances. Second, you've done that directly from your 
Citibank or Chase site without having to share any usernames or passwords. And third, when you log into Citibank and Chase, you can see what other services have I given access to, and you can choose to revoke those at any time. So it's putting customers in control of their financial data. And because this is a collaboration with the large bank and soon the small ones, they'll follow after. It also means the reliability of those data feeds is something we haven't seen before because those banks are explicitly building interfaces that are designed for services like ours. So we can reliably get that data day in and day out. No more two-factor authentications every day when you need more data. No more sharing usernames and passwords. No more data inconsistencies. This is a huge step forward on control, privacy, security, and reliability. Again, all of those are core values at Tiller Money, and we're really excited to have kicked off with those first two banks, and we'll have more to come. Yeah, I was just thinking already using the fact that you guys use Yodely. That is, uh, for people that don't know, that is, I mean, bank-level security right there. It's the same thing, same type of process that, that, that banks use, or in some cases, the same exact service right. that banks <clears throat> use. But this is one more step because... I mean, my understanding would be, Peter, tell me if I'm wrong, with that river only going one way, there is no way for a hacker to go back upstream. That's right. That is exactly right. There's no way for uh, anyone to use this process to get back into your bank account to move money or do anything else in that account. Obviously, you know, we still are working hard to make sure that the data that we do have is protected because we that's private data. One of the unique things about Tiller Money is we've also designed Tiller, so no no one inside Tiller, neither me nor our engineers nor the support team, no one sees transactions and balances. So we're also unique among our competitors in that way that we, uh, with how we regard data and, and how we work to keep it private, even from our eyes. But, but you're absolutely right. And I will say one of the reasons we chose Yodely some years ago when we started Tiller Money was because they are tightly integrated with the banks. They Most of the major banks have long used Yodely for similar things that we're using them for. So they've always been trusted by the banks. Open banking is something we're seeing in Europe and there it was mandated. It was government regulation to implement open banking. What's happening in the United States is different. The banks are seeing that, okay, there's no law yet mandating open banking, but this is a win. This is a win for customers ultimately. And it's just going to make the secure sharing of information easier. And so the banks are jumping on board without any regulations and saying, we're going to get ahead of this and we're going to support open banking. And uh, and as I say, that's uh, when we started to see the, the plate tectonics move, <laughs> we started talking with Yodely. We're Yodely's first third-party service using open banking. And we're one of the first services in the U.S. anywhere using open banking for this kind of thing. That's been exciting. And we've, we've received some great responses so far from customers, uh, those customers who have City and Chase accounts. Uh, so far, the experience has been great. And that's been rewarding to see. I'd like to ask you two questions about this. Number one, obviously, on the short term, what do you see happening then? Just more of it expanding? Or do you see something else where it's not just Chase and City, but it's a, a, a bunch of others? Is there anything on top of that over the short run? And then really, what do you think this does for us long-term and fintech culture long-term? I, I, I would guess this is some sweeping implications, Peter, that people like you are thinking about when you're yes. thinking five <clears throat> years down the road. That's right. So short-term, we are on a plan to roll out the top 20 banks, and that's going to take us well into next year. But all the other big banks, Capital One, Bank of America, USAA, you name it, 
we want to move all of those to open banking. And all of those banks have shown interest and are working with Yodely and will soon be working with us on that. And so there, there'll be more banks to come. And my hope is on a very regular pace through 2021, we'll see new announcements. And then after that, the smaller banks. The smaller banks have a challenge because they don't have the technology budget. So they're inherently going to move more slowly. But it makes sense for them as well, too. And so as we look, you know, two years out, my hope is we're seeing a ton of the small banks. And soon we're just going to look back. And of course, it's open banking. And you asked an interesting question. What does this mean for the industry? You know, Early in the days of personal finance services like ours, the banks were honestly reluctant and resistant to supporting us because the banks traditionally have seen that they keep their customers by being the only source of truth. If you want to know what's going on with your accounts, you log into that bank, you see that data on a screen, on a website, on an app provided by that bank, and they, they lock in that experience. And even over the last few years, There have been some scuffles here and there where some banks have made it really hard for services like ours to to get the data that we need. Ultimately, what's happened because of those scuffles is that the banks have heard from customers, look, if you're not going to support giving me access to use third party services like Tiller Money and others, I'm going to take my accounts elsewhere. And, And the banks have come to embrace that what open banking really means, which is that that data, that financial data about what I'm doing with my money, it's my data. It's not the banks. And the banks have come to embrace that and say, okay, it's a customer's data. So let's build the best, most secure way for customers to do with that data what they want. If they want to share it, let's give them a way to reliably share it securely. And so I think that we're seeing with this a new era of collaboration and cooperation among third-party services and banks. And I think that's only going to be a win for customers. I also think it's a win for banks. It's ultimately what customers want. You know, being early into open banking is going to win some of these early adopter banks, new customers, and they're going to see the benefits. And so I think it's a big win for the industry. And we're just going to see more collaboration, more innovation. And that's where the surprise comes from. I mean, frankly, Citibank and Chase being the first (laughs) ones doing this, where they're the ones traditionally, as you know, Peter, better than me, they're the ones that really like the closed loop system kind of shows this flip that you're talking about. That's incredible stuff. I I only have you for a few more minutes and I want to ask a question that's totally unrelated to this. I saw on your site, you know, I use Tiller Money. I'm not looking for a new budgeting thing, but I do know back from the 90s, a lot of money nerds use this tool called Microsoft Money. And I found yeah. out on your site that in some ways, Microsoft is bringing back Microsoft Money and you guys work with it. Tell me about that. Microsoft Money is cool as it was <laughs> back in the, you remember 98? Like that was the hot thing to use. I remember that, Joe. (laughs) That was my, I was in college and I applied to Microsoft as an intern. And the first summer I worked on Windows and it was so awesome. I applied again. And the second summer I worked on Microsoft Money. (laughs) I tell you, I know that. I know that world. Like everybody, uh, I remember when they shut it down, Peter, remember? I mean, geeks everywhere were crying. They were crying. They love Microsoft. I, I have never seen a tool that people loved that way and were as passionate about until I found Tiller, you know? Right. So there's two bits of news there. One is that we now support Microsoft Excel. So we launched with Google Sheets. We now support Excel. So really, no matter what spreadsheet you want to use, we can power that. The other bit of news there is that Microsoft 
has realized that powering data feeds into spreadsheets is, and that spreadsheets as a way for people to track finance is a really powerful thing. So we actually have our first competitor in Microsoft and they have a, a service called Money in Excel. That has honestly been a really great thing for us this year for two reasons. One is it's brought a lot of visibility to the fact that money in a spreadsheet is, it just makes sense. Like it's, it gives you vastly more control and more flexibility in how you can manage your money your way. And so having them jump on board that bandwagon has helped us to get the word out. Second of all, we have, frankly, we have a just a far richer solution. We not only support Excel and Google Sheets, we have an array of templates, we have a community of thousands of people who are talking about and sharing what they're doing in their spreadsheets. Our service is just built differently. And so we actually are also seeing some people who try money in Excel and then come to Tiller Money. And so it's both the validation of the market and then also people giving their product a try and then and then coming to ours has been, been really positive for us. And so, yeah, welcome back, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you been? Where have you been? Yes. Well, and exactly. I didn't mean, the only yeah. thing, the only thing I heard, I had done no homework before I asked you that question. I didn't mean to just ask you about your new competitor, but uh, <laughs> this little company in Redmond. No, honestly, it's a positive thing. I, I took pause when I first saw it. And then since then, it's just, We've gotten a lot of great visibility. And, you know, we were in Fortune last week and it was talking about tiller money and spreadsheets and why in 2020, why in this day and age, why spreadsheets rock as a way to manage your finances. And, you know, this is all just helping to get the word out. And it's good for us. It's good for customers. Hey, if people want to try out uh, Tiller Money, I mentioned earlier that we talk about you guys all the time on our Money with Friends show. We have a link there. Head to TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF. That helps the show. You can try out Tiller. It's uh, what I use. And I'm so excited to see open baking. I mean, this is pretty exciting stuff, Peter. Thanks for hanging out with us and geeking out on spreadsheets with me. I always get energized when I see a spreadsheet nerd like you. And you get so excited about it. It's just so, it just fills me with joy. Well, and you know, and we are far more than spreadsheet nerds. We're really for people who want to do it their way. And we have a lot of people who are spreadsheet novices. And in fact, this being around the holidays and New Year's, Joe, I want to make sure that you know, and your listeners know that we have a Tiller Money. I almost forgot to bring this up. (laughs) I totally forgot. Let's talk about this at the beginning of next year. Yeah. You got a cool thing happening. Totally. January 1st is right around the corner. So January 1st, you can sign up now. Sign up now on our site. January 1st, we're kicking off a 2021 challenge. 30 days of financial wellness for you starting off the new year. That overlaps perfectly with our 30-day free trial. So the course is free. The challenge is free. And, of course, Tiller Money, That uh, give it a try, 30 days free. And I'm actually going to be doing it. Not only am I helping to design it, but I'm going to be doing it. And we... Twice a week, uh, people who are part of the challenge are going to get content that are going to help them get on the right footing for their financial goals for 2021. And if they want to talk about it, celebrate their wins with that specific challenge, each of the challenges are twice a week, they can go to our community. I'm going to be there posting my wins. And it's a really good way for anyone who has thought, you know what, maybe this is a year to get on top of our finances. Absolutely. It's a year. Join us. Come to Tiller Money. Sign up for the 2021 challenge and I'll be there and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and I'll tell you what a great way to kick off a new year and to get the hell out of this one. Cause we, we, yeah. we <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be better, Joe. Is it going to be better? What does the crystal ball say? <laughs> I, I, well, if I'm starting it off with that kind of challenge, at least I'm taking control. It's something I can control. 
I can do myself. So yeah, yeah, that's going to be fun. I think this year that has been the message of this year is, you know, those things that we can control are fewer, but we grab onto them. And what can I do to get through? and make today as good a day as possible? And what can I do to make this month and this year? A lot of us have lost income. A lot of us have lost jobs. A lot of us have lost friends and relatives. It's just been an unexpected, challenging year. And, you know, we want to help people with a modest amount of uh, progress towards what's important to them. And obviously our sphere is personal finance. And that's our CS team. We've been growing our CS team and doubling down on just doing that. We realize like this year is about helping people. And if we can help a few people take a little stress out of their lives around money, then that's creating a positive contribution to a really challenging year. TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF for the challenge. Peter, thanks for hanging out and uh, stay warm there, brother. All that snow is making me cold, even here in Texas. A lot of snowball over to you in Texarkana. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and did you know that my favorite director was born on this date in 1946? No, I'm not going to tell you who it is. You're going to have to guess, but I will share some clues based on his best movies. If uh, you're now deadly afraid of monster-sized sharks, then you've got this guy to thank. Well, not this guy, but you know, the, the director did. Or maybe you've learned about a lovable extraterrestrial on a bike from his 1980s classic. Still don't know? Uh, well, enough hints. How about today's season-ending trivia question? If I were to follow in this person's footsteps and direct a hit movie where Joe, OG, Len, and Paula were stranded on a tropical island with dinosaurs roaming free and a genetic experiment gone wrong, how much money would my net worth be today? I'll be back faster than you can start watching one of this guy's action thrillers. Well, not only was that a dramatic question, and how scary would that be, the four of us? Which person do we feed to the dinosaur first? Like, I guess the question isn't how fast do I got to run, it's can I run faster than Len? That's the... <laughs> That's and you probably can, Joe. <laughs> that's, that's the or for longer, actually. That's the I can run longer. I'm not sure about faster. That's the hard thing. <laughs> but this, for people that are new to the show, is the dramatic conclusion to our 2020 <laughs> campaign to see who the trivia winner is. And it has been an epic battle all year long. And here is the score because there is a way, there is a way where you may have to go into overtime on the Magic 8-Ball episode, which begins 2021. So the bad news, we'll start off with the bad news, is that uh, the only role Paula can play here is as the spoiler. So <laughs> Paula has 14. With a win, she will tie OG, who has 15. Len has 16. If OG wins, we can force overtime between Len and OG. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. I, I love these games where I make them up as we go. It's fantastic. <laughs> we're at the end of the damn season. We're like, okay, can he kick for two? What do we do? Uh, 16, 15, 14 is you our score. for two, you kick for one generally, but go ahead. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Uh, details. I, I don't do it that way. But that means, Len, you are in first place. What's your net worth if you're the person that created the movie about dinosaurs roaming free on an island? Okay, so that's uh, – I don't even know who – was that Spielberg? Did he direct that? Uh, 
I'm assuming that's Spielberg. Boy, I'm going to be be embarrassed if it's not. Oh my gosh, that guy is so wealthy. I, I'll bet you it's in the B. I bet you it's it's got to be in the billion. He's got to be in the billion range. So I'm going to say I, I have no clue. Off just for everything he's done, he's has his own production company. I mean, uh, three billion dollars. Three. Billion with a B dollars. OG? This is one of those anchoring things. <clears throat> I don't know if uh, we're off by a factor of 10 one way or the other. So George Lucas sold all his crap to Disney. And I feel like when he did that, he, he got a pretty fat check. I feel like it was in the single digit Bs, but still a pretty, pretty decent amount. And he had been... Maybe, maybe saving a few of those dollars over the last, the 40 years leading up to selling it to Disney, maybe even. And Spielberg's got to be in that ballpark, right? I mean, he's no George Lucas. That's what, that's what Paul is, Paul is like, thank God I'm out of this. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't even know what movie we're talking about. You're on the right, definitely on the right track. I don't have any idea. I'm just going to say the first number I thought of before Len opened his mouth, <laughs> and I'm saying 4.7 billion. That was your, the first number you thought of. That was the first number I thought of. Yep. All right, Paula. Wait. So, uh, what, Len? What was your guess? Are you going to Chelsea Brennan me, Paula? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chelsea Brennaning someone. Someone's three, getting it. Three billion. Three. Three billion. Four point seven billion. All right. Well, I think that you both are high, so I'm going to go with 2.99 billion. 2.99. Thinking they're coming in hot. By the way, do you even know what movie they're talking about, Paula? Uh, yes, and I have seen it. Jurassic no, Park. you have. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. Although the first two movies that were referenced, I assume are Jaws and E.T., and I have not seen either of those. Wow. What? Is, who uh, are you this year? I just have. <laughs> I think Spielberg's first movie, and it was a good one. Watch it, people. Duel with uh, Dennis Weaver. He was chased by this mystery guy. I don't think you ever see him, if I remember correctly, in like a tanker truck. And he was chased down the highway. And it was it's really cool movie. Duel. I think that was Spielberg's first. I think first I need to see Jaws and E.T. Like those those are probably missing from my my repertoire of common knowledge. Maybe. But first we have to tell you what the answer to this is. But we're not going to do that right now. Hold on a second. Hey, stackers, you pay your credit cards off every month like you should. Well, if you do, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. And how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted 99% of places in the U.S. to take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitation supply. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. 
All right. Uh, 16, 15, 14, Lena is 16, OG is 15, Paul is 14. We're about to find out who the champion is or not. Len, you've got three billion. How you feeling now with Paula capping you off at the knees? Well, I don't. You know what? Apollo's working for me this game here. If she wins, uh, I guess I'm the champ, aren't that, I? That is that is true. Oh, gee. So I'm happy for Paula. Yeah. Oh, gee. Sandwiched in the middle. You got four point seven. How you feeling with that one? Uh, I'm not sandwiched in the middle. I'm on the top. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know money wise. I was talking about your score, but yes. Oh. Um, Thank I you. Guess, I guess we're all gonna we're all gonna find out together. Four point seven is higher than three. Still, <laughs> no. <laughs> that was last the last time. Yeah, and Paula two point nine nine. You think to sell movies, they're not making as much money? Ah, uh, honestly, I, I kind of think that the numbers in the millions and not in the billions. But well, this no, scares we'll me. Scares me to say this, but Doug has the answer. So, Doug, here we go. Y'all, I'm your Stacking Benjamins director, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And by this point, if you don't know that the director birthday boy today that I'm talking about is none other than Steven Spielberg, then I think you'll need to get out and watch some of his movies. You want to see a war movie? See Saving Private Ryan. Crime thriller? Uh, that's easy. Minority Report. Or how about an awesome sci-fi flick? For that, you got to watch Ready Player One. Man, this guy really has directed a lot of great films. Which reminds me, let's get you this thrilling season-ending answer. Question was this, what is Steven Spielberg's net worth? If you guessed a whopping $3.7 billion, then you'd be oh so right. Len Penzo, you are the season champion. I guess I... Need to follow in Steven's footsteps and direct my own Hollywood blockbuster so I can earn those kind of big bucks. Hey, Len, you better head on over to the makeup tent. It's going to take a while because you're going to be the star in my show about a year called 2020 gone horribly wrong. Whoa. (laughs) I am am, uh, filing a protest, a formal (laughs) protest. To this, I, I throwing the challenge flag. I am throwing the challenge flag. I would direct everyone's attention to Bloomberg, who listed at six billion. We have formal protest. I, formal I, I, protest. I think Doug's the uh, final authority on this. Doug can kiss my, you know what? <laughs> Doug, Doug has the final answer. The final say in it. Doug has well, the even final on Jeopardy, answer. they get together in the break, and well, he's dead now. There's another dead person, Alex Trebek. Oh yeah, oh, Gee, right. holy right. cow! Yeah, and uh, he used to say, "Well, in the commercial break, our judges reviewed the answer, and we're going to accept." So there's an opportunity for Doug to come back and fix this. I, uh, well, <laughs> I, I guess we'll see what the official review panel says. It's not fair to put it on Doug right now. Because he's already on his third cocktail because his stuff's over. He's like, I'm done, so I'm drinking. So let's uh, let's just see if the review board takes it under advisement over the next couple of weeks. I'm just awed at how close that the 3.7 billion answer is to both of, I know. Both of your guesses. Yeah, I mean, that's squarely and, and, right there in the center. You well, know what I use? OG, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but not close enough, unfortunately, for, for me to win. I'm pulling right. up a Forbes answer right now. Real-time net worth is of $12,720, billion. So I think you guys all think that the votes have been tabulated, 
but number one, I'm it, pretty sure that the tabulation machine has been hacked. I can't prove it, but it might be the case. Yeah, that's been debunked, OG. I'm sorry. Secondly, we're going to count all the episodes again. I'm making Richie go back to the beginning of the season. <laughs> He's got to go back and rescore everything because I am not entirely sure that this was an accurate count to begin with. And third, I'm taking this to the review board because Boomer, we all know, is an arbiter of very factual news at all times. <laughs> Listed at $7 billion. So, you, you can't, know. You can't just, trust that Steve Forbes character. Well, uh, he's always lowballing people, you know, and he wants to do that because he wants to be, he wants to, well, how much is, I bet you Steve's above this guy. And he's like, oh, look at me, I'm better than Spielberg, you know, according to my own list, you know. But guess what? My IQ is higher than Joe's and I don't rub it in people's face. I think hey, it is. I am the, I am the champion elect. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I 100% refuse to, <laughs> to use that terminology. <laughs> not the champion elect of anything. I'm not even going to say your name anymore. I think it's correct to question this whole process, OG. <laughs> I, I really do. <laughs> The type of clean shit people can see we run here three days a week. Why would you question any of this? Of course you should question it. But I think we had our first uh, asterisk on this competition like back in week two. So now's the time to litigate this. I think Mr. Pence got time. The official tally doesn't come in. I mean, you know, we're recording this. It comes out. And then the real the champion doesn't take over until 2021. So we got plenty of time. I think, I Mr. think we're, past safe, we're past the safe harbor date for any any protests. <laughs> safe I'm, harbor I'm not willing to concede anything. There's a really good chance that I'm going to. Oh, it's a bridge a- bridge too far. Uh, <laughs> c- congratulations, Mr. Penzo. Hey, let's. Oh, it's already been decided. There okay. it is. <laughs> Well, let's uh, take out protests. let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what you'll find? It's that all those financial products you use every day, nowhere near best in class if they're to brick and mortar bank, because over 92% of all of the savings accounts, checking accounts, credit cards, consolidation loans, student loan options, all rated against each other at Magnify Money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money hey, hey, for Joe. more. Yes. Joe, why didn't you ask me? You know, I've been listening to this for like 30 weeks now and I've got the answer. <laughs> and I sounds smart and you didn't ask me. I, just, I, I was thinking that too. You'll, you know what you'll find? Yes, I know. I'll, I'll find that the products that I use every day are nowhere near the best in class. <laughs> I tell that to my products every day. You, <laughs> if you were like Magnify Money, you'd be so much better. You ever have anybody have a parent do that? Like when you were growing up? No, just me. Just like, how come, you, child. How, how come you can be more like Len Penzo? If you're more like <laughs> yeah. that nice Penzo kid. to the real issue, which is this incorrect tabulation of results. The, I feel like we should have people, maybe we should have the basement vote on this because- should have, it should be like an electoral college of sorts. <laughs> oh have the results, but then we'll have other people actually vote on the results. <laughs> I like this. I like the basement vote. This is specifically why we're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> specifically. Wait, what exactly is the prize anyway for, for whoever is the winner? Oh, look at the time. Hey, we... <laughs> 
let's go to this question because Richie, our producer, found this on Reddit. And you know, we got to talk about Reddit, not about this, because everything on Reddit is true as well. Listen to this question. Yesterday, I purchased a CPO, speaking of Spielberg. Oh, no, that's uh, that's Lucas. I purchased a CPO 2020 hybrid Camry with more than 10,000 miles on it. I do really like this car. When I purchased it, I reasoned it out to myself that I'll probably have it for 10 plus years. It has great safety features, extremely good gas mileage, and is good for the environment. While there are plenty of logical reasons to have this car, I don't know if it was a good financial decision. The payments are $390 a month with a 72-month term at 5.9%. My credit score is around 710. I bring in about $3,500 a month at a very low expenses. I let myself be talked into buying this car because I was paying 16% interest on my old car, which I still owed nearly $3,000 on and which had some expensive mechanical problems, making it only worth about 500 bucks. But now... I'm extremely anxious and feeling legitimately sick to my stomach because I don't want to be in debt for this long. I've never owed this much at any point in my life, and I've read so much about not having debt being the best thing ever that I feel like I've royally screwed myself. I have three days to bring the car back to the dealership, but I'm a nervous wreck, and I'm trying to decide if the financial benefit of taking it back outweighs my anxiety. Would it be bad for me to keep the car? Is carrying debt really that bad? I have a question. If this person has three days to bring it back to the dealership, but there's a lag time between when we answer the question and when the episode airs, then I didn't say we were helping them. (laughs) I just said we'd answer for everybody else. Yeah. Like, hold on. Tell the dealership to hold on so we can get OG Paula and Len. But Paula, while you're talking, what do you think there? So the thing that concerns me is that this person said their income is $3,500 a month. And this car costs about $400 a month. Yeah. What concerns me is not the existence of debt versus not debt, because choosing to hold debt on a vehicle could be strategic if you want to arbitrage the the interest rate. So it isn't the debt part that worries me. It is the proportion of this person's income that is going towards that car. A $400 car payment on a $3,500 income is way too high of a proportion in my view. OG? Can I just say ditto? Because apparently it doesn't matter what I say anyway. And no. <laughs> I have the right answer, I still have the wrong answer. So maybe I'll just say whatever Len says. Whatever Len you, says. You should tweet be, about it. Uh, whatever Len says. I'd like says to see is, the tweet storm. Whatever Len says. Uh, I agree with this. Uh, Paula, what you said, the proportions are way screwed up. The other thing that's just mind boggling is what kind of crazy person are you to borrow money at? Five and a half percent on a car. That's obviously dealer financing of some sort. And that's totally just giving you the business. If your FICO score is really 715, you can go down to the credit union tomorrow morning and get that thing refinanced for two, probably 1.99, maybe two and a half, somewhere in there. And that's going to save you some money right off the bat. And then secondly, I wouldn't go anywhere near a 72 month loan. If you can't pay it off in three years, you shouldn't have the thing. So I would recalculate it using a lower interest rate and a three-year term. And if it's still a grotesque proportion of your income, then yeah, you got to take it back. And Which it so will be. Gotta, I mean, just, just cutting that term that much, it is going to be. Yep. So you got a CPO, which stands for Certified Pre-Owned, which is just a fancy name of saying it comes with a warranty for a period of time. 
What's wrong with getting the one that's the 2019 or the 2018 or the 2017? If you wait a little bit, if you actually just took the better part of a weekend to just go on cars.com or auto trader or Craigslist or whatever, and just look for the car that you want and say, I can go anywhere in this, in the union to go get it. You'll find the car that you want, the color that you want with the options that you want, with the miles that you want at the price that you want. It just might not be anywhere close. You might have to drive somewhere to get it or fly somewhere to get it, but you'll get a much better deal overall. And you can still do all those things that you're talking about. Buy a used one. You can, you can make sure that's got a warranty that goes with it. You know, it could have 10,000 miles on it and be a 2018. You know, there's those that exist too out there. So I think you have to just kind of go back to the drawing board on this whole, on this whole thing. You got snookered into it. it. Sounds like you're in a great area where they give you three days to unwind it. I'd unwind it and then say, yeah, it's not a no sales guy. It's just a not right now. Hold on a second. All right. Mom just said that she feels bad for you, OG, and she's got ice cream. Just just saying. Ice cream after the oh. show. Okay. Uh, won't make me feel better, but um, maybe she can give my ice cream to Len since he's taken everything else. Anyway. <laughs> Len? Len? Yeah, the, the thing that got me was the 710 FICO score and the 5.9% financing. I, that got me some – that was not good. Spidey sense was tinkering. Way better than that. I don't have a problem with honest to goodness – if you can afford it and you are certain you're going to keep that car for 10 years um, and you get a right, the proper interest rate, like 1% or which you can probably get, you know, from a credit union with, with that, you know, 1.9, 0.9, you know, I don't have a problem with the seven years, but uh, yeah, I, I also think that if it's not too big of a proportion of your salary or your income, take your money back. I think you've, you got snookered. So all three of you guys in agreement, take the car back? Yes. Yes. For different reasons, but yes. Doesn't matter what I say. Len always gets the right answer anyway. Um, Man! I, I've got 11 boxes of wine for you. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, this is already... They're all two buck chuck. <laughs> so many people had, had voted on this. You got 11 boxes of wine and a aspirin or seven with two bucks. <laughs> yeah. There's an edit down here at the end of this. It says, all right, everybody, I feel sufficiently about myself. I called the dealership and I'll be taking the car back for money back. It's too bad because all I really right. do love the car, but you all are right. Aww. There you go. You can't love a car. It's inanimate. So get your head out of your, you know what? Move on. <laughs> you can love inanimate things, teddy bears, houses. No. <laughs> False. I feel like Dwight in office. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. Like, like, false. One cannot love anything that is inanimate. You cannot, Paula. <laughs> Books. <laughs> Books are inanimate. I love beats. Speaking Beat? of speaking of books, Paula, what's the book on uh, on the Afford Anything show? What's coming up? Ooh, it's a book about how to do great segues. <laughs> Man. So on the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Rachel Cruz. In fact, I don't know if that has aired yet or if that will be airing. But <laughs> either way, tune into the Afford Anything podcast and hit the subscribe button so that if we haven't aired it yet, you will be one of the first people to hear it when we do air that interview. Also, this wacky dude named Joe Salcihai is going to be answering all community questions. What? With me. 
starting 2021. So tune in for more Ojo. That is crazy talk. Len, I think um, we should probably go to you before we go to OG. Very well. That's great. Um, <laughs> I'm just on, trying to uh, figure out what I could do to poke <laughs> him a little more. On the uh, persistentitch.com or lenpenzo.com, either one. I know a lot of people are planning for weddings now. I know they're pushing it out for, to next year. But for those of you out there planning for weddings, planning your wedding or planning a wedding, I have nine ways to ensure that you are definitely going to overpay for it. <laughs> Just if you, if you're absolutely in- guarantee you're going to overpay for it, these nine, uh, nine separate ways. So if you're in the market for overpaying for a wedding, yep. head to lenpenzo.com. Absolutely. Excellent. Fantastic. OG, big weekend plans besides uh, the tweet storm. Yeah, I think, uh, actually we might, uh, we might go up to Michigan as a matter of fact, might wow. take the family to Michigan for a couple right. of days, uh, a little quick trip for the holidays, but you know, we're, not seeing anybody. We spent Thanksgiving alone and, and, uh, you know, basically everybody that we know has already had COVID. So we feel pretty good about traveling. So take a little quick trip, stay up there for a couple of days. The, heck, su- I don't know. We'll the, the super spreader OG family's already super spread everywhere. No, everybody spread it to everybody we know. And yeah. then since we hey. don't believe it, um, I won't worry about getting it. <laughs> it's, it's <me> <laughs> I'm kidding. Paul is like, you mother. <laughs> hey, by the way, when you're up there, OG, can you get my solo stove from my buddy Jonathan and bring Sorry, that thing back? I room in the plane, sadly. Come on. Uh, no. Sadly. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. I'm well, kidding about the COVID thing, by the way. Don't know. Hey, email. Please, no. Please. We actually have had it in our family and everybody's good. You do not want and everybody it. Everybody in my extended family has had it and they're good. So we actually do feel okay about going to visit. Family. It is not a great time, but what is a great time is hearing Doug's take on what we should have learned today. So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Even in a horrible year like 2020, there are still lots of good lessons you can learn from to make 2021 even better. Seriously, we literally have to just leave our houses to make 2021 better. That's a lame lesson. Second, take a lesson from Peter at Tiller Money. With this new innovation in banking, you can now link accounts more securely without risking your data. But the big takeaway? (sighs) Turns out, after an exhausting Google search on TMZ, it seems becoming a Hollywood director uh, is not quite as simple as I thought it would be. No worries, though. Directing this here circus is more work than I can handle. And hey, they give me all the ramen I want, so I am set. Special thanks to Peter Paulson from Tiller for joining Joe and letting him know all the cool features of Tiller. You can find out more at tillerhq.com MWF, or we'll have a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. The Pope appears frequently on a balcony in Vatican Square. Len Penzo was gold on today's show, wasn't he? Well, at least he's hoarding it all under his bed. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. 
I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. And by the way, parents, this is not a kid appropriate after show. So we're not going to swear, but some adult themes, coming. adult themes are on the way. So uh, we've warned you and uh, adult themes are going to commence in five, four, three, two. This is our last get together guys as a group before the holidays. So. It actually isn't. We're getting together next week to do the magic eight ball. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, in our alternate universe where we make this, this mm-hmm. is our this is our last get together. So uh Len, what happens at your house during the holiday season? What happens at the Penzo Casa? On Christmas Eve, Christmas Day? Any of them. Or- the, what's the Penzo well, tradition? We- Oh my gosh, we have so many. I mean, well, obviously we put up the tree and we decorate the house and that's all been done. And then for, you know, when I was younger, being Italian, I had a, tra- and I missed this, we had the traditional Italian Christmas, uh, at least from my grandma and grandpa and all my Italian relatives. And what we had on Christmas Eve, it, I'll tell you, it was from a food standpoint as a kid, I oh, hated it. That Really? It was. Pasta, oh. It was no. This is Christmas Eve. Now Christmas Day, we always had the pasta, but but on Christmas Eve, my Italian family, they would have eel. They had spaghetti with anchovy sauce. They had uh, clams. They had oysters. What else did they have that was well? Those four things were the big ones. And, and the smell of Christmas Eve at my house was the <laughs> smell of anchovies. It filled the house. And that was the smell of Christmas Eve. And although I didn't eat any of that stuff, I still love it and I miss it. We don't do that now because I get to choose what to eat for Christmas Eve. But I still miss it. I miss it immensely. And I miss all my Italian relatives who have since passed on. And and it's just it was a magical time for me as a kid. But as a kid, you could smell Christmas coming from a mile away. <laughs> you could smell Christmas five doors down. My, you could smell that anchovy sauce by going. Sounds like a grandma's. I can smell it. Yeah. You guys have gingerbread too? No, we use uh, really small fish. <laughs> way, way, way better. Yum. Paula, any uh, holiday traditions in the pant household? December traditions? Um, 
No. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, we put up a Christmas tree and I got stacks and piles and piles and piles of presents because uh, that's the life of an only child. Um, <laughs> so that was fun. Um, and then Christmas Day, I would I was a nerd, so I would always ask for books. And so Christmas yeah, pa- Day. Wait a minute. Paul asking for books? I know, right? So strange. <laughs> So I do have these fond memories on Christmas Day of like reading The Wizard of Oz or reading Oliver Twist, the kids kids book version of it. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's like a big Christmas memory. Um, food wise, you know, so Mama, it, it, I've, I've mentioned this food to you before. It's a uh, steam dumpling, but really mm. it's so much more than that. Mm. <laughs> so we make steam. We make Mama, which is like a Nepalese food. For a while, we would make it on Thanksgiving until I, I pressed for a, an American Thanksgiving. But yeah, then we would make it at Christmas. You know, we would just make it any special occasion. I can imagine Paula on Christmas morning opening up her present. <laughs> opening my copy of Oliver Twist and eating my steamed dumplings. Oh, no, no. So She's Paula- like, exactly what I wanted, Mom. The Encyclopedia Britannica, EW through FJ. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Paula, when did you know Santa Claus was no longer Santa? <gasps> oh, I have a great story about that. So I, I well, we'll be the judge of that. This. We'll be the judge of whether it's great or not. <laughs> so I split tested it. I, I suspected. I split tested. <laughs> I totally did. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. I had a suspicion. But I, I wanted to confirm my suspicion. And so one year I asked my mom to bring me to the mall Santa. And I told the mall Santa when he asked what I wanted, I told him one set of presents. And then later when my mom asked me what I'd asked mall Santa for, I told her a different set of presents. And then I set up a third test. So we didn't have a fireplace or a chimney. So on Christmas Eve, on the, on that night, I left a note on the stove, like right underneath that stove vent. So I had three different sets of presents, present requests that were out there. And then on Christmas morning, I got what I told my mom, I told Santa that I wanted. So that was how I knew, you know, because the present that I got was the the one that I had reported to my mom. That was how I knew. Wasn't it Francis Bacon who came up with the scientific method? (laughs) <laughs> like I, I assume so. Yes. Francis Bacon, Paula sure. crying in his grave right now. Tears of joy. <laughs> I did well. You I, know, I, I knew when I was about six years old, seven years old, but I didn't tell my, my folks until I was about 16 because I wanted to keep getting presents. So they thought I believed in Santa until I was 16. OG still hasn't told his parents. Yeah. Yeah, my kids have, uh, the boys have grown out of it. I think William last year was kind of his last, so he was 10. So I think 10 was kind of the, seems a little suspect. <laughs> I think, or maybe before that, maybe nine was, and then 10, he confirmed it kind of like you, Paula, you know, type of thing. Yeah. A little suspect of it at nine. And then 10, he's like, I knew it. I knew it. But uh, Caroline is still elbow deep and, and uh, we have the stupid elf thing, which is the, Oh, the elf on the shelf. Hate that thing. And every year I'm like, we don't have to do it anymore. Like no one knows. No one remembers about it. And the kids are like, the boys are like, oh, we could do it. And I'm like, don't. He had COVID and he didn't make it. Like, it's easy. We can just make it go away. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> elf on the shelf is lost to COVID. 
Oh. I've seen some people make masks for those elves to put on the ma- on the elves yeah. mask. So, so the boys are like, oh, we'll take care of it. I'm like, listen, I'm not touching the thing. I'm not getting up at two in the morning because you guys forgot to move it. Like making the story up. I'm not doing, I'm not, I have zero involvement. So we're on day like, you know, day 10 of this and they're, you know, they're hanging tough, but they're like running out of ideas. They're like, oh, we've already put it on the bookshelf. And I'm like, yeah, I know. This is why we don't do it anymore because it's stupid and you just lose interest. So like it's cool the first like five days and you're like, oh my God, like where do we put this thing? That's got to be like close enough that she can see it, but far enough away that it's like something new and you know, whatever. So Paula's favorite game is to take that two buck Chuck, have four glasses of it and hide the elf on a shelf from herself. <laughs> for, Ooh, that's a nice tongue twister. Elf on a shelf from herself. <laughs> for the next day. Where did I, where did I put that? Where did I put that? Yeah. Yeah. My wife likes to get to all the, uh, all the kids matching pajamas on Christmas Eve. So on Christmas Eve, they get to open matching pajamas. Yeah. We do the same thing, which is super comical because my son is 13 now and, uh, he still wears the same, the same design as the four-year-old, which is, I'm kind of curious to see how long this, how long he'll tolerate it. My kids are in their twenties and they still get their pajamas on Christmas Eve. Are they matching? Sometimes. Oh, okay. So I guess it's going to go on for a long time. (laughs) Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.